episode of the shamrock i'm pete sampson joined as always by matt fortuna and uh, a very special guest this week we're we're breaking sort of our uh, shamrock protocols here of uh bald guests by bringing in grace rayner um <laughs> she could play offensive line though yeah, <laughs> yeah or, and neither bald nor an offensive lineman uh our beat writer at the athletic covering clemson grace how are you doing today uh just what we're four days out from from Notre Dame Clemson. This is a, I feel like this is a game that people have been looking forward to for about two years, maybe even all the way back to the 2015 game. Yeah, I feel like it simultaneously has been a long time coming and snuck up on us. Like I feel like we've had this circled forever. And um, but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. It's one of those weeks where I really wish that um, we were in person, but um, I think the buzz is still pretty palpable down here. Say this for me. I'm going to have everyone I talk to uh, via, via phone or, or Zoom this week. I'm going to test them. DJ <laughs> Uyunglele. That was, that was pretty right. Yeah, okay. DJ Uyunglele. Uh, Joe Tessitore really, like, educated me Saturday night when I spoke to him. He was like, it's not that hard. If you break it up into threes, you know, you do Uyunglele, and it's Lele, not Lele. Lele, I think, is the biggest mistake people make, yeah. It's lovely. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. Um, hopefully, <laughs> we had Mike Tarico last week thinking he was just going to say Trevor Lawrence, but his job got a little bit more difficult uh, coming into this week. But he's a pro; he'll figure it out for sure. Yeah, for sure, I, I think he'll handle himself just fine. Well, <laughs> so we were we're going to have a round. T- you and I were going to have a roundtable, Grace, later this week about what Saturday was like for for Clemson Boston College, and I think when the news came out that Lawrence was out. There was this sort of weird lose-lose perception among some people in the Notre Dame fan base that, you know, if you can't beat Clemson now, when are you ever going to beat them? Which I kind of get. But after watching the game and the way the offense looked, especially in the second half, I'm I'm not so sure. Like, like I get it. Lawrence is incredible. Um, but Uyunga Lale is really damn good too. So, like, what what was sort of your – your takeaway watching him live and sort of the vibe about him around the program. Yeah. I mean, I think with DJ, as soon as he got on campus, you know, he started immediately getting compared to Trevor and Deshaun just in terms of poise and mental uh, readiness and picking up the offense. But, you know, Clemson's spring got cut short and then they didn't have a spring game. And so none of us really got to, to see him much. And then when he did play in games, Clemson was, you know, pummeling people by 40, so they weren't necessarily going to have him air it out. And so I think everyone was kind of like, let's see this arm, let's see this arm. And then he got hurt in the Miami game, so he didn't play against Georgia Tech. So all of this kind of built up to all of a sudden he's a starting quarterback having played 52 snaps prior to Saturday against Boston College. But, you know, I think with DJ, he came out, he was extremely poised. I think we all saw what coaches were were saying when they compared him to Trevor and Deshaun. And I think this team really rallied around him. You know, Dabo and, and the staff had a conversation with some of the seniors, Travis, Etienne, um, Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell, saying, hey, if this guy's going to be in a rhythm, we're going to need you to, to pick him up. And so, you know, I just think that if, you, if, you're, if you're Clemson, um, you're feeling pretty good. I think that debut was about as good as it gets. Frank Lanson, Justin Ngata, 
Obviously, Justin Ross is out for the year. Amari Rodgers has really turned into their number one threat in the passing game, and he's improved a lot over, over the course of his career. I don't want to use the word vulnerable, but but is this Clemson team, how different is it, I guess, from what we've seen the previous two years where it just felt like they could throw the ball up and, and get a 50-yard touchdown on any given play if they wanted to? It is different. I mean, because you don't have that option right now. You know, I think it was um... – Georgia Tech's defensive coordinator who had said just what you said it used to be in the in the past you know if you needed a big play Trevor can can chuck it up there and someone's probably going to go get it whereas now they've got to be a little bit more schematic and and they're actually playing a little bit more in their scheme but um, it is weird I will say not not seeing that and I think that Joseph Ngata, based on everything Dabo Sweeney has said, is, is supposed to be that guy, but he just hasn't been healthy with his abdominal strain. And then Frank Ladson, uh, we've seen glimpses of it, but he struggles with drops, you know. And so what we've seen is Amari Rogers is Trevor Lawrence's, I guess now DJ's favorite downfield threat. Travis Etienne is, is running routes downfield. And then we're seeing Clemson's tight ends get involved in a way that they haven't been involved really since 2016 um, as true pass catchers. I just want to make sure I get this straight. Georgia Tech's defensive coordinator said that Clemson was not as explosive as they have been in the past. <laughs> that before or after uh, 73-7? say this? Yeah, actually, I don't know if that was before or after. That, that's an interesting I'm guessing uh, before. Hopefully it was before. I, yeah, I need to go look that part up. So, you know, one of the matchups that's interesting to me among the million that are is how Notre Dame's run game can or can't sort of either control the clock and also control the line of scrimmage. Um, two years ago, they had no chance. I mean, they're just completely overwhelmed by Clemson's defensive line. And then you have Isaiah Simmons just sort of running around, picking people off. How, how much of a step back is this front seven from that group? I mean, it has to be in some ways a step back, um, but that doesn't mean that necessarily they have become average in any way. But that, that to me is like a matchup Notre Dame has to win. Like, so what, what kind of firepower does Clemson throw in that part of the game? Yeah, I mean, that 2018 defensive line was probably one of the best defensive lines in college football. I mean, that, the, the fact that they had Christian, Cleland, Dexter, Austin Bryant, I mean, this, uh, this Clemson front seven is built differently. They're, Isaiah Simmons, as you mentioned, is gone. Um, and I think it's going to be what's going to be so telling on Saturday is if Clemson gets Tyler Davis back. We know that, that Clemson's going to be without their middle linebacker, James Skowski, who anyone at the program will tell you is the heart and soul of this defense. Um, and so he's, he's not going to be there. And then Tyler Davis, you know, I think he's the best defensive lineman on this line, and he's, he's been hobbled all year which has meant that we've seen a lot of true freshmen on this D-line. Brian Brzee has really had to play a large role. Uh, Xavier Thomas is not going to be playing in the first half because he got a targeting call. Uh, Miles Murphy, the true freshman defensive end, has had to step up. And so, you know, Clemson has, has been pretty good against the run these past few weeks. Um, that's not to say that, you know, you, you just can't really overstate Skalski's absence. And obviously this is going to be the best team, the best offensive line that Clemson has seen all season. But um, – that's that's a matchup that I'm that I definitely have my eyes on because they're just not. Um, it's not to say they're not talented, but they they just don't have the star power that they had in 2018. Grace, you covered Clemson five years, six years. How long? Uh, this is my fourth. Full oh, season. fourth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Trevor Lawrence, who's the best true freshman you think you've seen with your own two eyes there oh, over wow. the course of four years? Um, I would put Brian Brzee up there hmm. um, for sure. I would. 
if I had, I, I came in just after Dexter Lawrence, but I think if I had been there that season, I would have put Dexter Lawrence. Um, but I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd probably go Brian Brzee. Or Justin Ross. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. I mean, well, gosh, Notre Dame fans probably really remember that too. Cause that's when he really busted out that year. Alabama fans too. Come on. That's true. That's true. Yeah. In Notre Dame's defense after that, uh, Fortuna, you were there and Pete, you might've been too in Charlotte when, uh, John Simpson made headlines saying Notre Dame was the best team that goes oh, yeah. that year yeah. because <laughs> they beat Notre Dame by 27 and Alabama by 28. I'm surprised uh, Brian Kelly didn't bring that up yesterday. <laughs> he did. He, he did. No, the, ju- just straight John Simpson's quote about. Oh it. <laughs> no, but he did. He did. It was very salty, and, and I mean that in a good way. Brian Kelly, where he said, uh, he, you know, he kept getting asked about what what a big game this is, and he's like, look, like everyone killed us when we lost them, and they went and did the exact same thing to Alabama. I haven't heard any questions about Alabama since then. Like he was very like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> no, he did not. I I wanted to get your opinion on that in in this realm, Grace, because like I think at, at Notre Dame, but. Like, clearly this is the biggest home game in 15 years. There's, like, not even a question about it. Um, Brian Kelly's press conference demeanor on Monday was unique for recent times where it he felt terse and prickly and, like, I'm all for the authenticity of that uh, opposed to faking it. But it made me think, like, all right, something, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a tightness up here. At Clemson, like – I don't know. Is this like the fifth biggest game in the last two years? Like I, I was curious about Clemson's mentality coming into this, like your vibe around the program. Like, is this really that big of a game? Cause there's no way it could be as big to Clemson as, as, as it is to Notre Dame, just based on the games Clemson has played in and won. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think by far, if you're comparing this to, you know, Clemson's been in the playoff five straight years. And so they're very used to this stage. They're very used to this type of pressure, if you will. Um, regular season wise, I think that this is definitely up there. I mean, I can't think of a time. Um, I'm trying to think of the last four years when I covered a regular season game that I think was this hyped up and had this type of national implications. And then of course, you know, we're in such an unprecedented year. This has as ACC championship implications as well for Clemson. And so that I think throws a new wrinkle into it. Um, and I think that the fact that this is on the road, you know, a lot of these Clemson guys have not been to Notre Dame. They're very excited about the history and the tradition. And this is kind of a bucket list item for a lot of these guys who haven't played at Notre Dame. Um, but when you're looking big picture, yeah, I mean, they played the greatest team in college football, you know, what, nine months ago for, for a national title. So they're, they're used to this type of stage for sure. Adam Sweeney's never stepped foot on Notre Dame's campus, which I found surprising. I did a story on him uh, ahead of the 2018 Cotton Bowl um, where he went after the receiver's coach job that Urban Meyer left behind. Him and Dave Clawson and Notre Dame hired Joker Phillips, uh, and they didn't last long, much longer under Bob Davey, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sure they'll appreciate the history of the moment. Uh, but on the field, I want to ask you about Travis Etienne. I, I, I feel comfortable saying he's the best running back in the country. But the first three years of his career, he had 54 catches for 567 yards, six touchdowns. This year already, 29 catches, 434 yards, two touchdowns. Really dynamic, especially this past week against Boston College when they didn't have much else working for them uh, in the past game at at some points. How much better, I guess, has he gotten at that aspect? or, Or is that simply out of necessity because they just don't have the weapons they usually have? He's gotten, I, I don't even know that you can, 
really accurately put into words how much better he's gotten. I mean, Dabo Sweeney is the first one to say, like, Clemson would not have considered throwing a pass to him in 2017. He just wasn't asked to do that in high school. He came from a, you know, small Louisiana high school. He just wasn't asked to do that. And so when he first got on campus, Clemson obviously loved his speed, but it was, they were bringing him along in pass protection. Like he was just, you know, catching up to this level of football. And then, you know, we see him kind of progress as, as each year passes, and we saw him dabble in that area last year, but still some drops, kind of figuring out his hands. And then all of a sudden this year, I mean, after Justin Ross's news comes out, you look down Clemson's uh, season stat sheet, and Travis Etienne is the leading re- returning receiver because Amari Rogers obviously had was dealing with his ACL last year. And then this year you look up, and, and Travis is just, he, he's running deep ball routes. I mean, he's, he's just so dynamic. And this was the plan all along is that he got a second round grade last year and said, I'm going to come back for my senior year. I'm going to graduate and I'm going to make myself into a dynamic, versatile NFL type running back. And um, I think every single week that passes, we're seeing Travis make his money. I'm curious. I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Like how, when he's catching passes, how much of it is, sort of wheel routes out of the backfield, that sort of traditional running back stuff versus like lining up as a slot receiver or even going out wide and finding matchups. Because to me, and I was going back and forth with uh, our mutual friend Anna Hickey about this yesterday, like Notre Dame's inside linebackers, I don't think are prepared at all to sort of deal with motion and him flying out of the backfield. I think if you put him on a corner or safety, Notre Dame would handle that. But how do they sort of use him to, to free him up in the pass game? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, a lot of it's been the intermediate stuff on third and long. He's been, uh, you know, he kind of – at Clemson, Hunter Renfro obviously made a, made a name for himself as the, as the third down guy, and all of a sudden you look up and you're like, is Travis Etienne playing this role now? Um, but, you know, when we saw him against Boston College, like running those deep ball routes, that's something that we don't see super frequently. A lot of it's the intermediate stuff, but he's just – Travis's thing too, and I'm sure – Notre Dame is fully aware of this. It's just he's so crazy effective through contact. So it's like if he's just with catch and run, he's just gonna gonna take off. And his lower body is so powerful that if he if he gets by you first two steps, um, you're playing catch up and, and you're in trouble. And so he's just become super versatile. But yeah, I don't I don't see him lining up as okay. Let's take a shot to Travis, you know, regularly. Um, but he does give he does give their offense different looks and he is now at the point where he's making defenses respect him both on the ground and vertically which is kind of a crazy thing to think about I think one of the hallmarks of Clemson's run over these last five years or so has just been their consistency uh, particularly as it relates to staff Pete had a great story up on the athletic today on Notre Dame's coordinators Clark Lee and Tommy Reese who uh, as known quantities as they are have four years between them uh, as coordinators at this level Red Venables and Tony Elliott uh, are 66-5 and five with two national championships and two title game losses during the last five years. Uh, what is it about those guys and about the makeup of that staff that uh, allows them to thrive year after year and, and keeps them where they are? Obviously, they're, they're making a good chunk of change there, but that's not all of it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. They're generously compensated, but I think that they just enjoy – the lifestyle of it. You know, Brent has been very, um, 
you know, Dabo kind of instills this bloom where you planted. I know it sounds a little cliche, but I, I just think people like being at Clemson. You know, they, they have a very good work-life balance. They seem to like working for Dabo. They're obviously winning national championships. They're competing on the biggest stage. Um, I think Brent really enjoys, you know, being the, the defensive guru that he is and just getting to lock in on one thing. And then in Brent's case, you know, he does, he does have two sons on the team. And I think that's a big part of it as he was saying, I think it was last year um, that he's very aware of the fact that he kind of sold his sons on this dream of playing at Clemson. And so their dream is something that he kind of sold them on. And I think that he's, he's recognizes that part of it as well. It's okay. My kids are playing here because this is something that they grew up wanting to do because of me. And then with Tony Elliott, you know, Fortuna, I know you and I have talked about this just off air. He's just a guy that um, doesn't really chase jobs. I think he just really likes where he is. He, he's a guy I think could go be a power five coach, you know, tomorrow. Um, but this staff continuity, when, when Jeff Scott left, it was the first major departure in a really long time. Yeah, I think that was sort of interesting from a cultural standpoint, because talking to some people around Notre Dame, you get the sense that, I don't want to say there's like a, a Clemson envy necessarily, but there is an admiration for like the culture that Dabo has built down there. Um, could you sort of pull back the curtain on like what he's done there to like keep coaches on staff? They don't have a lot of transfers. They don't, they barely have decommits ever. Um, obviously they win a ton of games um, that helps, but like what's, what are the, the biggest pillars of, I think that um, the culture that he's built? I think, well, when you, I'll, I guess I'll start with decommits and recruiting. I think that when you look at these kids that commit to Clemson, Dabo is the first one when he um, is going after a kid, he's like, I don't want you to commit right now. You know, I want you, he's very, he's very clear about, I want you to take your necessary visits, do what you need to do, because when I get your commitment, this is, this is a, a, a two-way street. And that's why he doesn't really allow his, you know, the, the official visit rules. That's been talked about a lot at Clemson. Um, Clemson doesn't offer a lot of kids, you know, it's, it's, uh, they don't, they don't make scholarship offers to, to kids that they don't plan on being able to honor. And so I think that he's very picky. And then he, he kind of instills that same pickiness in his recruits, if that makes sense. Um, and then you just look at the staff and, you know, Dabo's a coach that, and Fortuna, I know you've written about this, you know, he's a guy that's saying, uh, don't miss your daughter's dance recital. Don't miss your, your kid's basketball game. And I think it just builds this culture of he respects them as, People And of course, they all work extremely hard, but I just think that they feel like they have a really good balance. Clemson is a very tight knit community. Um, I think they like living in the Clemson area. And then on top of it, you know, that you take the fact that they can get almost any recruit <laughs> that they want. They can win any game they want to win. They're competing for it year in and year out. And I think there's this kind of this feeling of, you know, um, the enemy of good could be better, you know. I'd ask for your best Dabo Sweeney story, but I don't know if it would be too crazy. Uh, just knowing him the way we know him. What's your best Brent Venable story? Oh, gosh. My best Brent Venable story. Honestly, okay, well, a couple of years ago, Dabo called Brent Venable sweet, and that just has, like, never left my brain. <laughs> like, I just um, – as soon as I heard Dabo use the word sweet to describe Brent Venables, it's just been, imp like, ingrained in my mind for all this time. But What was Brent's reaction to that? I can't, I think he was just kind of like, I think he kind of laughed it off and the, the players back it up. Like apparently like Venables, like, you know, he's two young daughters. Um, off the field, he's a completely different guy completely than the maniac different. you see. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Like 
completely different. No get back coach, no, you know, craziness there. Um, Honestly, I think my favorite Brent story might've been from a few weeks ago when um, after, after Syracuse hit an 83 yard touchdown reception, he just very casually was like, I'm going to go home and punch myself in the face. And I was (laughs) like, what? What?" He just, he just said it so like straight edged, um, like didn't laugh. Like, I don't know, just the way he said that and the the mental image that then comes to your mind of Brent Venables just looking himself in the mirror and punching himself in the face. That one is, um, that one's definitely up there. Pete, that sounds like a former Notre Dame coordinator. Yeah. (laughs) I think it would involve a bottle of alcohol as well in that scenario. (laughs) I'm not going to put you on the spot for a prediction, but like what, what are the most interesting things you're going to be watching on Saturday that are going to tell you how the game's going to ultimately play out? DJ is one, um, just because I think now Notre Dame has film on him in a way that Boston College does not, and this is a lot of pressure. It's a true freshman going on the road, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's been a lot of talk at Clemson about Kyle Hamilton this week, just how dominant he is. Um, But I'm just – I think it sounds cliche, and I know coaches say this all the time, but I think I'm looking in the trenches. You know, Clemson's offensive line – has really had to answer a lot of questions about run blocking. And Dabo got a little defensive about it a few weeks ago. He doesn't really seem to think there's an issue, but that's been something that hasn't been as consistent as it has been in the past. Um, I don't, you know, when Dabo says this offensive line, the first group, he thinks is playing as good as any unit that he's ever had. I I would push back on that a little bit. I, I just think that there are still some wrinkles they need to work out there. And then Clemson's D line, we don't really know what it's going to look like. You know, we, we do know, no Xavier Thomas is a big deal potentially maybe or maybe not Tyler Davis Skowski's out Um, I just think that this is one of those games where Clemson obviously has the talent at their at their backup positions and I know that was something Brian Kelly was talking about but these are key guys I mean Trevor Lawrence not playing James Skowski not playing these are like the heart and soul of your team going on the road so um, I think there's a lot of different variables but I think this one does come down to um, just the line of scrimmage and what Clemson can do there. Clemson's offense is going to be Clemson's offense no matter who's playing there, but, but what would be the biggest difference from what you saw last week and what you think will happen this week uh, with Uwe Angolele back there? And uh, have you met or interviewed Big Dave? I have not met or interviewed Have you, have you blocked him on Twitter, I should add Oh as my well. gosh, that was so <laughs> funny. When DJ said he's had his dad blocked on Twitter since 10th grade, I was dying laughing. Like, not just muted, just straight up blocked. Um, he's just he's already he's, smarter than 99% of college <laughs> football players. Yeah, he is. He said, uh, I really, like, as a random aside, I really like DJ's vibe. I find him to be, like, accidentally very funny. Um, he's just kind of got this freshman California vibe to him. Um but, you know, that's the thing I'm, I'm the most curious to see because, you know, kind of lost in the mix of the whole DJ Trevor situation was that this game plan that we saw last week was for Trevor. You know, this DJ didn't find out until almost 1 p.m. on Thursday that he was going to be Clemson's starter. So he had one practice and a walkthrough. So I'm excited to see kind of what Tony Elliott dials up there. Uh, we saw DJ's arm. You know, I think, I think we all want to see him take some shots. And then DJ's a good runner. You know, he's a 6'4", 250-pound dude who can just barrel it in there. We saw him on that 30-yard touchdown run in the third quarter against Boston College. So I think that's what I'm interested to see, just kind of what's the mix of, all right, let's take some shots, let's get DJ involved in the running game, and then just how much Travis Etienne takes over as well. And I, I think ultimately, like, is there anything you think that 
you'll learn about Clemson on Saturday night outside of DJ. Like it, is it, is it a, is it something about the backups that, you know, you could see Clemson kicking into gear and like being, you know, proving again that it's like right there with Ohio state and Alabama or like, I'm curious about that aspect of it. Like, is it, you know, I'm thinking back to the cotton bowl, Dexter Lawrence is out. Oh my God. Like this is, you know, Notre Dame finally has an opening. Albert Huggins comes in, forget it. Like it's over. Um, you know, Notre Dame has a corner Julian love out for a quarter and it, everything falls apart. Um, so like, is this, is this really going to be like an example of Clemson's recruit, like new position as a recruiting powerhouse in a way that uh, it seems like that's, that's where Dabo has really kicked on in the last couple of years. I think it's possible, and I think that that is probably what we will learn because we saw Clemson's backups get shut out by the Citadel, you know, in the second half earlier in the season. Like, they did not play well against Wake Forest. I mean, this is – that was what Dabo was talking to them about at Georgia Tech was, okay, this is the area of our team that has to grow. Like, we have to get to a point where there's not um, a drop-off between, you know, string one and string two. And so – Um, I think that we'll learn a little bit about that. I think any time that Clemson, you know, Clemson doesn't play a lot of national games because the gap is so massively big between Clemson and everyone else in the ACC. So I think we learn just big picture what Clemson looks like anytime they play, you know, a big team, let alone a top five team. So I think we'll learn a lot about just their DNA, their makeup, their resiliency, um, ability to go on the road. Your quarterback's not there. You know, I think we'll learn a lot about that. And then I think that at some point we have to start learning a little bit more about Clemson's wide receivers. I know we touched on that earlier, but Frank and Joe have been hobbled and then they just haven't, they just haven't given Clemson the, the downfield threat that they, that they have. Like they just, it just, it feels different this year. Wide receiver U feels a little different. Um, and last week, you know, with no Frank Latson, Clemson started, Brandon Spector in the in the slot and he was 6'1 and he was their tallest receiver on the field so those are kind of the questions I have just kind of figuring out all right this is game eight for Clemson um just identity wise wh- where are they in all these different areas if that makes any sense when you call their receivers Frank and Joe they sound incredibly unathletic <laughs> <laughs> they sound like podcast hosts yeah. <laughs> Frank and Joe oh my gosh I would listen to that podcast yeah, yeah that does sound like a that does sound like a, a podcast for sure that's funny <laughs> Grace well a question for you and I guess a question for for Dabo how does he keep his team from getting bored playing in the ACC against non-Nerd Dame teams the last five years and how bored do you get kind of week to week um, <laughs> knowing you don't have much to do other than track backups in the second half okay I'm not going to lie, like when the game was on the line this past week, it was a very unfamiliar (laughs) feeling. Um, I've not really, like every game I cover is basically decided at halftime. And so then I feel like come postseason, I get a little stressed out because everyone else has been trained to cover these close games. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into the postseason. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to figure out how to write a gamer that isn't decided in the first 30 minutes. Um, But... I, I enjoy it because then you get to get a look at the future, which is my favorite part. You know, you do get to see the DJs, the, the well, Brian Brzee is now a starter, but you do get to see kind of this youth movement, EJ Williams. So I like that part of it. As far as Dabo and how he keeps him from being bored, I think that's why Clemson's the best team in the country. I don't know what he says or what he does to convince them that Boston College really can beat you or Syracuse can embarrass you or the Citadel's triple option can expose you. I don't know how he does it, but every single week he's convinced these guys that whatever team they're playing that week, 
is the biggest game of their life <laughs> and they always get up. I mean, we've seen them be a little, we, we know he didn't, he didn't like the questions about them coming out a little, you know, slow or low energy against Syracuse. But for the most part, every single week Clemson gets up for the, these games, regardless of who it is. Do you think if from the outside, Debo seems like um, charismatically paranoid? Um, like he finds any little thing and can turn it into a, a, a major aggrievement. Like, is that, <laughs> is that part of it too? Like he's, he seems to be very skilled at, at finding like a wedge and like making it big. I think that Dabo is very good at talking directly to his team through the media. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's not unique to him. Um, but it is interesting. Like we've seen, you know, it started out as like, little old Clemson, Roy bus. And then I think people kind of, you know, weren't super into that anymore. Cause it's like, are you really little old Clemson when you're beating people by a hundred every week? Um, but you know, the thing that I always remember with Dabo, and I think that this was, I think this is one of the most telling things that he's, he said, he said in the past that it's harder to stay at the top than it is get to the top. And I think that's where we are right now when we see him, you know, maybe nitpicking or pushing back at some of these, questions that he wouldn't have in the past this is you know Clemson has established itself on the national stage and now it's his job to to keep them there I almost wonder if it's easier having Alabama winning five titles under Nick Saban as this other sort of death star to shoot for where you're not just the lone lone wolf at the top and everyone's coming for you I mean there's they do have peers as crazy as that sounds with how good they've been over the last five years or so I mean I, I covered the ACC since 2014 I thought this is a really good program. They got a generational player in Deshaun Watson. They might win it all with him. I never in a million years thought we'd be here four years later talking about them um, being on the kind of run they're on right now. Um, not going to put you on the spot, but I am curious. You know Clemson better than anyone. Notre Dame will win this game if – like what, what has to happen? What has to go wrong for Clemson uh, for Notre Dame to win this game? Pete and I were talking about this a little bit last night. I mean, Clemson's defense has been exposed in the passing game these these past few weeks, which I know Notre Dame has had some issues kind of figuring that out. Um, Clemson's been pretty good stopping the run, but I think that Notre Dame wins this game if they establish the run early, open some things up for play action, take advantage of these potential injuries, take advantage of Noskowski, uh, rattle a freshman quarterback, making his first road start. Um and just dominate in the trenches. You know, I think that this is a team that can give Clemson everything it wants and then some. Um, and I, I'm not going to be surprised if Notre Dame wins this game. All right, last question. Will I see you in Charlotte? And yes. Where, where will we be enjoying a socially different distance beverage and what will it be? Hold oh, on. Gosh. You too, John Hayes. I got to find a way down there if this is happening. <laughs> oh, man. I have to think about this because I'm like, I feel like I need to step my beer game up. You know, I feel like everyone at the athletic drinks like craft beer and, um, I got, I am a, uh, I mean, you're, you, you know, Asheville, like you're from around Asheville. Like I, that's, that seems impossible. I know. Uh, I am, I'm the cheap beer champion, by the way. Like I, I, I I'll drink anything. I, I'm not picky. I'm like a, like a bottle of white wine and a movie kind of gal, you know, like I'm, I got to up my beer game a little bit. So I don't know. Charlotte definitely has some good beers. Asheville's are way better. Obviously I'm biased. Um, but let me think about this, Pete. I'll give you, I'll send you a text message with some recommendations. We'll make sure to get you. I know you're an IPA guy, aren't you? 
I, I yes, I'm I'm open to all varieties of, okay. of ales, but yeah, IPA <laughs> would be just fine. <laughs> all variety of yeah. ales. Yeah, I'll figure this out for you. I'll get us a I'll get us a place. And in the meantime, I'll start training my body to like get me <laughs> IPAs are like I just can't I can't, I haven't gotten over that hump yet, and I keep thinking like oh if I keep trying I'll get there. And I just, I just haven't, my body just hasn't accepted IPAs yet, but I've got a month, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's, it's the, it's the next big step, I think for you, much like Notre Dame football this weekend. Like there's, right. there's so much room for improvement, but it's a tough step. Like it is as you, go, as you go into adulthood, there's certain things I feel, you know, I feel like you have to. Let, to let a little grace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me and Notre Dame. That's funny. Excellent. Uh, All right. Well, Grace, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, spend some time with us talking Notre Dame clubs. Like I said, like, I think you could talk about this game for infinite minutes and people would never be satisfied with the amount of information that you gave because they would always want more, but that's what makes this game awesome. And uh, hopefully we will get to Charlotte together and you will have a solid month of training uh, for said gathering. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to start a, I guess this is as good as week as ever to to go ahead and get the tolerance built up a little bit. So I'll keep you posted on that front. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks, Grace. Thank you all for having me. Thanks to Grace Reiner for joining us, uh, expert on all things Clemson. Uh, As Pete said, I don't think we can talk enough about this game, um, which is why we'll hopefully get two of these games uh, in the next six weeks or so. Uh, But for the purposes of this podcast, we will talk about Saturday and Pete um, it, it's just so interesting to me that uh, this is a game that's been circled on everyone's calendar really since it was announced a couple of years ago. And uh, we've had a pandemic. We've had almost all fans wiped from the stadium. We've had the greatest quarterback prospect in at least the last nine years taken out of this contest. And I still don't think the hype has died down one bit. Um, uh, would you agree with that? <laughs> you know, are we missing anything here? <laughs> I, I do think the hype has died down. Huh. But, but – I mean, we're talking about this is a levels of magnitude question. Like, I think that if fans were in the stadium and Trevor Lawrence was playing, you could make an argument this was every bit as big as the Bush push game, maybe bigger. Um, I think without those two things, it clearly falls to fourth among the Catholics versus convicts game of the century '93 Bush push. Like to me, this is this is a clear number four now. Whereas I think if, if this was um, all, you know, all guns operational, that you could make an argument that this could get to three. Maybe it could get to two. Um, I don't think it was ever going to eclipse the 88 Miami game. I say, would you put Bush push at three? I would put Bush push at three, uh, Florida State at two. Uh, and then, you know, this one, ha- I, th- I think, would have a chance to go as high as number two. Now, now I, don't, I don't feel that way. And I, I think that in some ways the rematch, well, great. We're going to have hopefully Clemson, Notre Dame round two to talk about. It definitely takes the um, uniqueness shine off of this game quite a bit as well, which is like ultimately a good thing in the big picture. But if we're, if we're talking about how big is it, it diminishes the bigness. I, I think that part of it, maybe more than anything else, the, the prospect of these two teams meeting a short while after is what would dim it, for lack of a better term. Uh, maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment. I mean, I was. I mean, I watched the Bush Bush game. Um, I did not. I wasn't alive for the Miami game, and I didn't watch the Florida State game. Um, 
I did do a story on that Florida State game, though, when they played in the Champ Sports Bowl. And, yes, just talking to people around the program, seeing the private planes that came into town that day, knowing that there were fake credentials being distributed and sold. Uh, that That's not going to be happening um, this Saturday. But I, I don't know. I'm psyched for it. I, I just – there just has not been anything – Maybe because it's so far away, the greatest game of the Brian Kelly era at Notre Dame Stadium. That's what um, has rubbed me up for it. I mean, uh, yeah, the Lou, like Lou Holtz had two at least. Um, right. You know, the Charlie Weiss era was the Charlie Weiss. I mean, I think this game could take on greater meeting in years future, depending on how it goes. But yeah, it could uh, be. I mean, maybe it's a 2015 Notre Dame Clemson game, but for Notre Dame. Right. Um, in the Except with sunshine. Well, it won't be sunny at night, but 65 and sunny, just like you draw it up yeah. on November 7th in South Just, uh, you know, maybe it's a launching pad for Notre Dame in that way. And that's, that's what I, one of the most interesting parts of it is like what the fallout of this game, if Notre Dame wins, even if they get worked uh, in Charlotte, with when Trevor Lawrence is back and, and Clemson is at full strength. Like I still think it would be the biggest win of Brian Kelly's yes. tenure here. Um, and that's like, this is sort of the orders of magnitude. Like right, so who's, who's the second biggest right now behind Oklahoma. Oh, I mean, Oklahoma is clear. Right. Number one. Um, this, this would jump that fast. Um, I agree. But I mean, what's, I mean, it's not a long list. I don't say yeah, that. I mean, well, are you asking Brian like Kelly? what's number three? What's number um, two behind Oklahoma right now? You know, I've I've done many of these power ranking lists of Brian Kelly wins. Um, you know, I, I've tried to space them out. Stanford and twelve. I, I would huge. say Stanford. That and 12. one has stood the test of time. Um, I would argue that USC in seventeen. Uh, the was way they did it, a massive game. The way mm-hmm. they did it against who they did it. Um, you know, the Michigan game in fourteen has not held up because of Notre Dame fell apart. Yep. M- Michigan in eighteen. I mean, especially yeah, with Brandon I mean, Wimbush and especially right. with that Michigan team, which was in the thick of it until they yeah. got to Columbus. You know, then then you're getting a little – you're splitting hairs about, like, well, how big was the Utah win in 2010? Like, pretty significant, but not big in a epic national scale. It was more like in the, woo, program was really off the tracks. Now it's back on. They um, kept Michigan State out of the national title game in 2013 somehow. The worst <laughs> game ever. <laughs> yeah, that, let's not talk about that one. Um <laughs> So yeah, this is this is. I think this would be number one by a wide margin over Oklahoma, yeah. which is which currently is number one by a wide margin over everything else. So that's that would be big, whether Brian Kelly wants to call it a measuring stick or not. Um, all right, we talked about this a little bit with Grace. Mm-hmm. I want, but I wanted to get your opinion on it because you were on the call, I believe. Like, what did you make of Brian Kelly? On so I was on another call when that was live and I watched it right after and I saw your tweets as it was coming in and, and you know, you said, you know, salty Brian Kelly or something to that effect. And my reaction when seeing that was like, uh, oh, here we go again. Like, and he's just going to be difficult and tighten up before a big game and yada, yada, yada. And then when I went back and watched it, uh, it I don't know, maybe, maybe, I mean, you're in them every week. I'm in them most weeks. I, I do think, you read things a little bit – I at least personally read things a little bit different when I'm like in the middle of it and I've got a question ready and I'm just trying to get to my question and listening for cues that might answer my question versus just watching it almost as a fan removed without any like mm-hmm. stake or question in it and just like digesting everything he says. And so watching it um, from that standpoint, I kind of liked it. I mean, it was so – he's been really, really like – I don't want to say friendly, but like really good as far as a quote and as far as answering questions and hitting all the right notes uh, this year, which is 
uh, ironic because you'd think it would be worse when you're like at a distance and speaking to a blank screen, but he's been really good. Um, and yesterday, um, I think, I mean, I, I liked it. I did. I mean, I, you know, that's like not, not the like proper journalism thing to say because he wasn't like given the, you know, answering every question directly, but you know, he got a number of different questions about, well, 18, this and that. And he's he just like, or, or what, what, I think early on he gets a question about, you know, um, you know, what's next for this team. He said after 2018, we're on the brink of something good, blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's like, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He's, we're 26 and three over the last 29 games. Why don't you decide that? Like, he's just, yeah. like, he, he's just tired of like talking the talk. Uh, it's put up a shut up time. I think he knows that. I think he wants to set a tone for his team. And we see this all the time with this program, right? Like they, they sometimes need a fire lit under their ass. And, and whether they're all gathered around the screen watching what Brian Kelly's saying to us every week, I don't know, but it definitely gets back to them. Um, because I can guarantee you, if they lose a close game Saturday, everyone's going to say, ah, oh, Notre Dame's doing it the right way. Good job. You tried hard. You're just not good enough. Like, sorry, screw that. Like you're playing to win a game. Like go out there and, and leave it all out there. Like I, I don't – I hate the whole like, well, at least they tried hard and they get good grades. Like as Mike Bray would say, like, no, like you're playing, your slogan is graduating champions. Like go out there and win a damn championship. And you can do that this Saturday. It was like a double fake reverse uh, press conference, I thought, because I was expecting him to come out and maybe lean a little bit more into the Clemson game and its magnitude and what it would mean and yada, yada considering he's been talking about right. how big a game it was for the last few weeks. That, that part uh, was a little different as far as he's yeah. like, well, we got to play BC the next week and we could lose. Yeah, that, that was strange. Yeah. Um, but I thought the, you know, we're 29 and three over the last 32 games. You figure it out. You tell me if we're yeah. part of the elite, you tell me if we've closed the gap, I think is, is much more the, cause that, I mean, that's the quote that everyone took. Um, you know, he was prickly and defensive and for me, who is trying to write a story on mental conditioning and confidence for tomorrow, it, I knew my question was like, I'm just I'm not going to get the answer that I want, the way this press conference is going. He gives good answers. I hate to say this, but it's true after 11 years, and I think you agree. He gives some of his best answers to the worst questions and some of his worst answers to the best <laughs> questions. Like, he's just going to say what he's going to say, regardless of what you ask him. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not, and it's usually out of our control. Yeah, it was just I found it to be an interesting press conference, and most of them are not that interesting. Um, so that was something. Does it mean that he's tight? Mm, no, I think I would be reading too much in. I wouldn't say tight, but I'd say there's definitely an edge to this group that they didn't have and probably couldn't even fake if they tried to when they're playing yeah. Pittsburgh, Duke, Georgia Tech at all. Um, yeah, it was just it was different. It was definitely different. Um, but even you now. He said so many great things about um, off-the-field initiatives during this crazy 2020 year, and he got two questions about the election and having off, and he made it clear in no uncertain terms that he does not like having off, and I don't think he's unique among his brethren um, in, in that uh, line of thinking. But even then, it's just like, screw everything else. Like, this is Clemson week. Like, nothing else matters. We got to win. Uh, I, I don't care what I said in 2018. I don't care what happened when we played Alabama. Like, we're putting all of our chips on the table Saturday. And, oh, by the way, I'll mention we're playing Boston College the week after just to, just in case our kids forget that we have a couple games to play after this one. Yeah, no, I was I was down with all that. And, I mean, even just the, the election stuff, I, I know that there's a certain – there are many people in media who feel like 
you know, coaches should be rallying behind this during the season. I am not one of those people. Um, I think I it's a good idea in theory. It was a great in idea in the summer. Good, you know, good in theory, poor in practice. When they came up with them, I came up with the idea. I liked it. Um, just in practice, I think it's insane. Because um, especially at Notre Dame, where 90 of the right. 105 people already voted. So, uh, all right. The game. Who wins? Why? What's the final score? You got to do props first. All right. Prop, what are our props? <laughs> our props well, have really we've tre- been under every damn week. <laughs> We're going to be under this one. Trevor Lawrence threw for 404 yards at Atlanta, which has a 404 area code. As Clemson put up 574 yards of total offense Ooh. at Notre Dame, they averaged 508 per game for seven games this year. Uh, that better be under. That's going to be way under, even if Clemson wins by a lot. I, I, I am. They're not going to put up nearly 600 yards. Notre Dame's defense not on the field long enough to give up that many yards. No, no. I think that's that's the style of game it's going to play. If uh, Ungalale put up 300 yards, I would be mildly surprised based on the pace of the game mm-hmm. um, and the fact that he's throwing to Frank and Joe, not – Justin and T. So that's Frank and Joe. Well, are they playing? Yeah, we don't even know that yet. We'll hear from Dabble yeah. later, but I mean, they've been banged uh, up. As regardless, well. they're not that athletic. I mean, their name's Frank and Joe. Um, so it's Frank and Joe are two stars better would, than any receiver so, in our names recruited in the last 10 years. Who, uh, okay. Well, how about this one? Um, Notre Dame rushing yardage hmm. 172 and a half. Under. Barely. I think it'll be like 150. Okay. I think... They have no chance if they can't do that. I think over. I think I'm going to go over on that one because Clemson has recruited incredibly well, but even if they get um, you know, some return to health on defense, it's not like you're going... I mean, God knows how many we've seen guys come back from injury at Notre Dame. They don't come back at 100%. They come back and they're serviceable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Notre Dame's offensive line is going to be more than serviceable. Uh, and I think Notre Dame's running backs will be more than serviceable against that front. So I'm going to, I'm going to go over that line, you know, not by a lot, but I, I think that ultimately is going to be the key to the game for Notre Dame, whether they can control clock, convert short yardage and sort of play to their identity in a good way, because certainly if they try to, force their identity in the passing game. I think that's where they can get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I say under, but I mean, if that's the only chance they have, right. I mean, if they, they, they don't run for 150 yards, they're, they're not going to win this game. And I'm not sure it's going to be particularly close. I mean, that's just the, the makeup of this team. Um, we'll let you go first since you predicted before the season that Notre Dame would beat Clemson and it's election day. And if you flip flopped, we will uh, tar and feather you between now and Saturday. So do your patriotic duty. My uh, Notre Dame. And that was with Trevor Lawrence, by the way, presumably. Right. I know. So it's like, then you have to stick with that pick. Correct. Um, There's not a lot. I don't know the the coaching dynamics of Elliot Venables versus Ree and Lee. Lee (laughs) certainly is an edge to Clemson. The overall talent in the game is an edge to Clemson. Clemson, the head coaching Program management is an edge to Clemson. Um, the composure in big games is an edge to Clemson. Special teams. By the way, but that Clemson. was interesting, and I don't want to nitpick here, but 
for as much as Brian Kelly was, you decide. We always show up and, you know, our kids aren't going to get rattled. I mean, that's just not true. Like, I don't want to yeah, harp on the Michigan game. they get rattled like, once a year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, there's, there's nothing that is sort of holds about that. I do, I feel like to pick Notre Dame, you really have to be hard on the intangibles. Um, and it's almost like I hate the if not now when line of reasoning because that's not analysis at all. However, no, I, oh, at some first, point, Notre Dame is going to win this kind of game. And I cannot think of a much better situation than this one with a backup quarterback for Notre Dame to win it. I cannot think of a better situation with Notre Dame's offensive line not maybe not playing like world beaters right now, but playing really well, uh, a run game that has an identity, uh, an offense that knows who it is and who it is not a defensive coordinator who has been outstanding all year. Um, that maximizes what Notre Dame has a defense. That's fairly healthy. Um, that has difference makers in Owusu Koromo and Kyle Hamilton on opposite sides of the field that should be able to corral Travis Etienne. Uh, I am terrified of Notre Dame's interior defensive line getting carved up on Saturday. Uh, I am terrified of Notre Dame's linebackers being exposed. But I think this is this is going to be the moment where where Notre Dame gets the win that its fan base has been bloodlust <laughs> clamoring for for years. Um, so I'm going to stick with my Notre Dame pick. I don't feel super confident about it, which is why I'm going to say 24-23. Um, but I think it's going to be an awesome game. I really, more than anything, I want the game to be on the line in the fourth quarter with three minutes to go, uh, and I think we will easily get that, uh, and so my prediction will be Notre Dame 24, Clemson's 23 in a, uh, a game that afterwards, Brian Kelly, I could see him walking into the locker room with a yardstick and being like, huh, what is this? Could, could we measure something? Um, it will, I think it, it will be just sort of a, it will be the best one of the Brian Kelly era on Saturday night. It will be uh, if Rick Renteria wins a White Sox, wins AL Manager of the Year award today as a White Sox. That'll be the equivalent of Notre Dame beating Clemson and winning the ACC and not knowing what to do with themselves after because it won't make any sense. The line opened. Well, it's funny we talked about this earlier in the season. The, the early lines were anywhere between ten and fifteen and a half for Clemson this week uh, with the news of no Trevor Lawrence. It opened at Clemson minus four over under of forty eight and a half. It's already up to five and a half in fifty two. Wouldn't shock me if it got to seven. I mean, at least um, friends of mine who, who don't have Notre Dame ties all seem to think, well, it's Clemson. Like, they're going to win this one by at least a touchdown. Uh, you know, I, we haven't seen Notre Dame. What were they going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Look, I get it. I, I, you know, their, their reputations uh, both precede them. Um, I, I I agree with every single thing you said, um, both schematically and uh, emotionally. I mean, I, I think there is a – if not now, when element to this. Um, I, I don't know if the intangibles go on Notre Dame's side. I just don't. I mean, I, I think you know, pressure can be a good thing, and I think they're feeling the pressure here more than Clemson is because Clemson will probably get a mulligan for this um, unless they get run off the field, which is not going to happen. Um, and I, I, I think if a true freshman um, leads the greatest home comeback in school history the first time he starts – I think you you take out all elements of, of nerves and, and and you know skittishness and everything else. Now, like this is, it's the worst Clemson team since at least 2017, and it's still good enough to 
at least make the playoff, if not win it all, when, when Trevor Lawrence comes back. Um, they don't have the downfield proven downfield threats that they've had in recent years. Um, they are really banged up at linebacker. They don't even have the pass rushers that they had, anywhere near the pass rushers that they had in, in 2018, and they're going to be without one of them for the first half in Xavier Thomas. Um, I got Notre Dame 20, Clemson 27. Oh, a cliffhanger. Matt, you are a pro's pro. You really kept the listeners on the hook to the Who's going to be the guest picker? I I already know someone who will be on game day. I don't think this person will be the guest picker unless he's hiding something else from us on this podcast. No, I'm definitely not. I just, uh, uh, to repeat my advisory from post game Georgia Tech, if you're a, if you're a supporter of the athletic or a listener of the Shamrock, hopefully both. I believe game day will have a very cool feature uh, on on Saturday. On the Shamrock? <laughs> not on the Shamrock. That would be uh, ironic. I mean, Mike Trico said we're not even in the same ballpark as them, and here we are. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when, what happens. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying it's a, it's a feature story about someone who is very athletic, and perhaps someone will be involved who is – not athletic, but works for a company of the same name. Uh, will be on the on the feature. Am I the athletic one, and you're the one involved from the? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps not. So, who's guest right. picker? Vince Vaughn is apparently a Minneapolis native, and already did the the Gophers last. Yeah, week. He did it last I, week, right? Yeah. I had no idea he's from Minneapolis. I, he went to Tom Reese's High School, Lake Forest. I was associated with Chicago oh. and Notre Dame. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't know. Is, is Rudy available? Is Sean Aston? Can he do it? I think everyone's available right now, right? It's all for yeah. If nobody's <laughs> doing anything, so maybe, probably maybe be the, they'll get Tariq. It'll probably be the Golics. <laughs> I think they really should. I mean, Tariko's there. Come on, we, you know what we should, By the way, you know who we should have had this week. We should have saved him, Aaron Taylor, Mister Lugubrious, from the oh. last time Notre Dame played or last time they went to Clemson. God, the yeah, that was a missed season. opportunity considering we were great. talking about Dabo Swinney and his wedge issues where he's able to find anything anytime and just make it into something. That new. was like an all-time post-game BYOG in the rain. Uh, Aaron Taylor, never heard of him. <laughs> Tim Bray's like, yes, you have. <laughs> yeah. Lacubrius, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm hooked on phonics. And then uh, Aaron, of course, went over there and uh, did, did a CBS segment with him not long after. Um, the 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 post game for both sides, win or lose, might be – it won't Ooh. be as good as the game, hopefully, but it will be um, entertaining even if it's uh, via Zoom. It will be hot for sure. So we will be back – I wouldn't even say late Saturday night. We will be recording very early Sunday morning. Um, this could have been the weekend where I used that extra hour of sleep, frankly. Um, Dave Chappelle hosts an SNL. We got, we got to get out of there really quick. <laughs> you know, it's a big night on NBC. <laughs> Yeah, so until Saturday night, really early Sunday morning, um, Matt and I will will be back with the next episode of Shamrock Post Game. Maybe we'll get Grace off the couch to rejoin us uh, to recap. She won't be sleeping. Get Grace off the couch. (laughs) (laughs) It should be an awesome game. I hope that it, you know, the lead up to it is, it's not everything we wanted, but it's close. Uh, I hope the game delivers everything that we do want in terms of high drama, national stage, and an awesome ending. So until... Our next episode of the Shamrock very early Sunday morning. You'll you'll listen to that with your your breakfast. Maybe you'll be hungover. Maybe you won't. Um, your but, breakfast, your vodka. We'll see. Yeah, whatever you're doing, no judgment. You you will have earned it if you make it to Sunday morning after this week. So, until until then, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks again to Grace Rayner for joining us. You have been listening to the latest episode of the Shamrock.